Welcome to the Fan Experience, a Phoenix Rising supporters podcast. Stick around for interviews, analysis, fan stories, and our love affair with Phoenix Rising. And now to kick things off is your host, Niall McCarthy. Phoenix Rising family, we're going to win the cup this year. I can feel it. We have two more games and then the playoffs. It won't be easy. I'm taking nothing for granted. But over the season, we've improved individually and as a team. We've added depth and even more importantly, we're led by a coach who sees the mistakes and learns from them. I'm incredibly honored that you listen to us week after week. We've covered every game of the season, always with awesome guest analysts. We've previewed every game, brought you the highlights from around the division, and given you context about the important games from every division in the league. We had Phoenix Rising players on the show. We've had general manager Bobby Dooley, who'll be back on the show before the end of the season. And we've heard from the leadership of the supporters groups. Much love to Chris and Sarah and to Susio and Tony Ward for coming on the show to help all of us to unite and be part of this incredible Phoenix Rising community. We've had supporters of other teams come on the show to help us preview games and to talk about how our teams performed in post-match roundups. That was a lot of fun. Most importantly, we've heard the voices of Phoenix Rising fans on the show. We've had super fans like Monica McPherson, a fan from another land, thank you Matthew McFadden, who's beginning his winter hibernation right about now up there in Scotland. It's so amazing to look at the podcast analytics to see that we've got listeners all over the world. After the first few episodes, we saw that we had listeners in Ireland, in the UK, in Germany, in Australia, and surprisingly, in Romania. A special thanks to all of you who have continued to listen over the course of the season. Since then, we've picked up listeners in Spain, most likely friends and family of Santi Mora, John Vicero, and David Loera. We picked up listeners in Mexico. Thank you, Manuel Madrid, for signing with Phoenix Rising. As soon as you did, we saw a jump in our listenership. We've also got listeners in Canada, Indonesia, India, Djibouti, France, and Sweden. I'm guessing that it's not Zlatan Ibrahimovic who's listening in Sweden, but maybe Zach Lubin's cousins who are listening. Still no listeners in Jamaica or Venezuela, so Darren Maddox and Luis Sejas, I need you guys to do your part, so please pick up the phone and tell everyone you know in your home countries to get with the program and get listening. Phoenix Rising family, we've heard fantastic origin stories from everyday fans like Alex and Sarah Beth Greyer. We have a follow-up interview planned with them. There's a really fun Phoenix Rising related conclusion to their individual stories, so keep listening and I'll get that live very soon. In addition to hearing the stories from the Phoenix Rising family, we also heard your questions. And to provide answers, we brought in the experts. That happened as recently as a few days ago, so thank you Scott Summer for your question. Scott asked us to do a deep dive on our captain Salman Asante's recent form and offensive production. Scott echoed concerns from our guest Kelly McCarthy and the fan base on social media about Solo and also about the production from our front three. We have an answer from USL Tactics. John Morrissey joins us with very direct and insightful answers, so stick around for that. 
before we hear from John, we've got Kelly McCarthy on to review our 1-0 loss against OC, and we followed that up with a fun game roundup of the record-setting game against Las Vegas Lights. As always, we have a segment on standings, super important as we're so close to playoffs. And we finished the show today with a preview of our next game where we take on Sacramento Republic FC. So much to get to, so much fun, so many smiles. Thank you for joining us. Get your friends to subscribe to this podcast. Leave us a review. You can email us at thefanexperiencefc at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at fanexperiencefc. Okay, let's get to the good stuff and kick things off with that away game against Orange County. What's up, football-loving maniacs? This is Devin Kerr, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family, on Wednesday, October 13th, Phoenix Rising played Orange County in Orange County. We played to win, but we lost 1-0. Kelly McCarthy is with us. Thanks for joining us, Kelly. We're close to the playoffs. This is an important game. Set the scene for us, if you will. Sure. So the stakes are really high for both teams, of course, for all teams right now that are moving towards the postseason. For Orange County, they've got a lot to prove. So they're not only looking for points in the hopes that somehow they can get into second position in the Pacific Division and clinch them a home field advantage for the first round, but they're also looking for picking up momentum. That's something they really need. They've been sliding a little bit. So they're slightly better on the road than they are at home, and that's something they're looking to change. Also, This is the fourth time these two teams will clash and Orange County wants to get a win. The first time we met in August, it was a draw at Wild Horse Pass. We met about a month later in September, two to one win for Phoenix again at Wild Horse Pass. And then just a few days ago, Phoenix went to OC and beat them one nothing. So at this point, Orange County is looking to redeem themselves as well as pick up those points heading into the postseason. So in terms of Phoenix, the stakes are the same as they have been. Once again, looking for home field advantage all the way through the postseason. So we need to pick up points for Phoenix Rising. We need to uh, improve on the road. We need to continue to improve on the road. And we need to work on our finishing. This is something that's been an issue. Our dominance in the offensive third has been lacking. So those are the things the teams are looking to accomplish. And of course, this is a rivalry. So everybody wants to win this match. Yeah, we were so excited going into this game. We were looking at how we were faring against teams in the other divisions, especially against Tampa Bay Rowdies. And it was just really, really hard to take that we played so well and yet we lost three points. After the game, our coach Rick Shantz said, we didn't start very well. The remainder of the game, we were very good, but lacked quality in the final pass, final shot. We will learn and improve. He went on to say, our focus is only on one game, nothing else. So yes, it's always been Rick's mantra to focus on the game at hand. And yes, we will learn and improve. Rick has a history of doing exactly that. Kelly, I'd like to know what you think about what he said about us not starting very well and that the remainder of the game, we were very good, but lacked quality in the final pass or final shot. Do you think that's a fair assessment of the overall game? 
I think that's a fair assessment, but I think it's a little misleading and or it's not the full picture. So we didn't start very strong. And I think that has something to do with the lineup that we put forth. And we'll get into that a little bit. So we didn't start that strong because we weren't necessarily starting our strongest team. I do think we improved. I think that came later into the second half. I think we improved because we put some of our substitutes on. I think we brought some playmakers onto the team. And to say, you know, we just weren't good enough in the final third or with our last touch or our last shot. I mean, that's the game. That's the issue that we've been having. That's the part that we really need to work on. So you're just not going to win playoffs if you can't finish or if you don't have that final touch, final shot. I mean, that's what it's going to come down to. So I do agree with him, but I don't think it's necessarily as rosy a picture as he painted. Okay, let's take a look at the highlights, then we'll get into the lineup, and then we'll hit up some closing thoughts. So although there was only one goal, there were plenty of exciting and tense moments. In the opening minutes, Orange County were on the attack. In front of the Phoenix goal, OC's striker, Ronaldo Damas, who else? He took a close-range shot. Our goalkeeper, Andre Rawls, blocked it. Ronaldo Damas hustled for the rebound. Andre Rawls hustled to stop it. The ball bounced out to OC's midfielder, Eric Calvillo, who took a shot, but he picked the wrong side of the goal as our fullback, Manuel Madrid, was right there. He was in place, not afraid to put his body on the line, and he cleanly headed the ball out of danger. A huge opportunity missed for Orange County. A fantastic moment, a highlight reel moment for Manuel Madrid. Kelly, that was a close one. Oh, it was so close. And, you know, I think one of the things to first notice is that, you know, it starts with Mines, their player going down just around the 18 box. So, you know, that was a challenging moment where credit to both sides for continuing with play. It looked like it was going to be a penalty of some description yeah. or, you know, a foul would be called. Everyone played on. Damas is so amazing. You know, he hurls his body to get that ball back into the center and in front of their goal. And like you said, number 15, Calvillo was right there to just pick it up. And I have to say, you know, he was composed. He tried his best. He wanted to put it in the right corner. And you had Madrid moving across the face of the goal in one direction and having to cut back left in order to head that out. He was exactly where he needed to be. He was right on the line. He was intentionally saving a goal. And it was amazing. You know, one of the things that he brings to the team, and I think he brings a lot to the team, I think he's really proven himself in his last couple of starts, is just his size. He's a big guy. At first, this made him look slow. Maybe he wasn't, you know, fully in form. But at this point, he's really using his size and his athleticism. And this is an an absolute great example of that. You know, he's really just like, he knows what he needs to do and he gets it done. He's not dramatic about it. And it was tough. I mean, that was going in. He managed to kind of bend it around and get it out of goal. So it was, it was awesome. And this is the third minute. And I'm not even sure. I think this might've been their second good attempt on goal already. So you can see this OC team comes out hard, fast, and they too are working on their finishing and they got close here. I'm going to talk about David Loera. He put a stamp on the game early on, and he's a Phoenix midfielder. He got so many touches and worked his magic time and time again, putting pressure on the OC defense. He had a nice crack at goal at the 10th minute, but the OC goalie was able to take care of that. Wasn't the first time that we saw Loera in form, but at this point, I think that most will agree that he's a welcome and good addition to the squad. Kelly, what do you think about Loera? How was he on the night? 
Yeah, I think he was fantastic. And I agree with you. I think we can all see what he brings to the team. You know, he uses space beautifully. He travels with the ball incredibly fast. Um, You know, I think a challenge for him is that he hasn't yet started amongst sort of the other starting team. He's kind of in there with people who are a little bit out of position. He's in there with people who aren't necessarily on the first string most nights. So, you know, that's a challenge. And we even had one of the commentators say probably 10, 15 minutes in, Loera is taking this team on his shoulders. He's doing everything he can. And it's true. I mean, he was stripping their offense. He was going back playing defense. He was moving with the ball. He's trying to distribute. He's taking shots, like you said. So yeah, he was awesome. And kudos to him for not getting frustrated. You can see his experience. He just puts his head down and he keeps playing. So he was awesome. Yeah, we don't see a a lot of high scoring games. I don't think we ever see high scoring games in Orange County. And this match definitely followed that pattern. There was just the one goal. It came in the 18th minute and it was the type of goal that we're well accustomed to seeing in Orange County. What do I mean by that? Well, you don't see a lot of bangers from either team that plays in the OC Championship Soccer Stadium. The goals that come to mind for me are typically scrambles in the box. Someone gets to a loose ball and this one was no different. We had plenty of defenders doing their job, but on an unlucky bounce and the OC midfielder, Ben Mines, who's just off the goal line, beats our goalie, Andrew Roll, Andre Rawls, by a hair and taps it in. Kelly, we're down 1-0, 18 minutes in. It's not where we want to be. No, it's definitely not. And most Phoenix Rising fans know that when we concede first, it's not as uh, it's not as bright of a finish for us. So for the 2021 season, when conceding first going into this game, we were three, three and four. So the game is just not locked for us when we go down first. So this was disappointing and it was pretty early on. You know, we saw some great overlapping runs for Orange County to make this play happen. And, you know, watching this again in the highlights they have four players in the box two just outside of it so they were really focused as a smart team would as a good coach would tell them get the first goal and that's what they were going to do you know they've had trouble finishing on the season and you could really see that they were not going to give up they wanted it more minds just chipped away at it you know it wasn't terrible defense but they just had really stacked the odds in their favor and had a lot of men inside the box ready to go so you know It was rough, especially because we know how hard it is for Phoenix to turn around and pick the game up. But um, kudos to them for sure. And, you know, it would be unfortunate because this would be our first loss, straight loss with Andre Rawls in goal. So it was unfortunate that he wasn't able to contain this one. From that point forward, I did feel like our boys tried to step it up. They had plenty of forward momentum, uh, but not a lot of luck. For example, we saw Calistri, or as the announcer called him, Calistro. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> Calistro. <laughs> Calistro. Okay, so he's playing full back and he's dribbling forward toward the OC end line and he cut the ball back across the face of goal, but nobody was there. After a similar play later on in the match, we heard the announcer say, again, nobody there for Phoenix, echoing what could be heard in living rooms of rising fans across the valley. Our boys tried different plays with our forwards on the wings, Prince Sadie and and Arturo Rodriguez. They switched sides, but no success at goal. Up to the 42nd minute, Loera cleaned up a loose ball and earned a corner, which looked promising, but again, no dice. So we're, we're ending the first half. And taking a look at the stats, OC had nine shots on goal. We had three shots on goal. So I feel like 
we had a lot more opportunities, but we just weren't getting shots off. Of those nine shots that OC took, seven of those were on target. And for us, of our three shots, only one was on target. We had more possession. We had 53 possession in the first half. And I think we were, we were doing well with that possession, but just unable to finish. So Kelly, um, going into the second half, how were you feeling? Were you expecting something to shift? Were you expecting a tactical change? Were you expecting new players out on the field? Overall, how did you feel? Well, you know, I was disappointed. You know, I was a little disheartened just knowing again that it's tough for Phoenix when they concede first and knowing that we have had trouble barring our last game, which was a really exciting win on October 2nd. Uh, we have had trouble winning when we're in this stadium. So, you know, I was feeling that a little bit heading into the tunnel. And I was also feeling like, you know, despite the fact that we had a creative team in our forward line, we had Bicaro, Rodriguez, and Sadie. This is never a pairing that we've seen up front. So I was kind of feeling like we need a star striker. You know, that's something that has just felt like we were, we've been missing over the last couple of weeks for various reasons. We just haven't had a classic number nine who knows exactly where to put himself. And Becaro wasn't really getting the job done. Um, Sadie in the last couple of starts that he's gotten hasn't been able to make the plays either individually nor in terms of distribution. And, you know, Rodriguez as amazing as he is, was a little bit out of position there. So that's kind of how I was feeling. Asante was not available. Maddox was not available. We had some big playmakers that were missing and we felt the absence. It's not just, oh, people are struggling to finish, which has been the tale for the last couple of games, but it was also, who would it be? You know, who is it going to be? It just really was a bit of a confusing uh, lineup for me up front there. So was I expecting a change? No, I really wasn't expecting a change because that's not really Rick Chance's way. You know, he's very smart manager. He knows his players. He knows his strategy and he typically sticks with it. However, that said, coming out of the tunnel into that second half, we did see a change. We saw um, Quinn come in for Lambert. So Quinn started uh, in the center position playing midfield in place of Lambert. And I think we felt that change pretty quickly. I think we felt that offensive effort. We also saw Sadie come off and Moar come in. That was in the 52nd minute. So right away there in the first half, we see this kind of re-energizing of our forward line and of our attack in general. Quinn has been an amazing form and we really saw him kind of lift this team up. Obviously no disrespect to, for Lambert who helped um, really keep that amazing defensive effort in the first half, but we just sort of saw a shift in the evolution to some more offense. And if you don't mind, I'll just keep going. I think we really felt that between sort of the 45th and the 75th minute. I won't go so far as to say it was an assault, but it was a lot of constant pressure. Um, you really noticed that Phoenix was pressing, was pressuring, was really trying to get that goal. And I want to say, you know, kudos to Rakowski, the goalkeeper for Orange County. I think this might have been his first start. And he had a lot to deal with. He had his hands full for like 20 minutes to start that second half. He managed it really well. Absolutely. So Kelly, you mentioned Aiden Quinn coming in in the 45th minute. So he came in right at the start of the second half. And Absolutely. There, there were a lot of 
temps on both ends. If we take a look at the stats, we can see that Phoenix turned it up a notch. So I, I told you what was going on in the first half. In the second half, we had even more possession. We had 57.6% uh, possession. And if you look at our dual success rate, we're winning. We're, we're winning the aerial duels. We're, we're way winning the interceptions, 12 to 2. We've got a lot more corners, more than twice the number of corners. We had 11. They had five. When you look at our attack, our shots um, increased up to 14. And that's compared to OC, who is now less at 12 shots on target. We had five shots on target. No goals from either side. Now, I do want to point out that that Quinn came on and definitely we saw a boost. We saw Darnell King come on in the 71st minute. Uh, he came on for Luis Seijas and we saw Santi Moore come on and shift, ch change things up when he replaced Prince Sadie. Um, David Egbo did come on in the 81st minute for John Beccaro, but I think we need to highlight Quinn's contribution. So Right there in about the 93rd minute. Does that ring a bell for you, Kelly? You want to tell mm. us what happened there? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so this was in stoppage time, obviously. And I think we had Kalistri kicking the ball in um, from the right corner there. A beautiful header by King to <laughs> Quinn, who put himself pretty much right in front of the keeper. So he's facing away from goal. He gets the header from King. At the same time, you know, he plants his right foot. He turns. He hits the ball with his left foot, you know, while turning and puts a beautiful shot on goal. I mean, it's just one of those things. If I practiced 400 times, I don't know if I'd even do it once. It was gorgeous. He knew exactly where he was. He knew exactly where the goal was. He knew how much pressure he needed to take off the ball and how much he needed to redirect. I mean, it was just class. Unfortunately, again, kudos to Rakowski. I mean, he really had to just be hyper alert to stop that. But yeah, I mean, I think Quinn really has shown so much value to the Phoenix Rising side lately. This is a great example of it. He can finish, you know, he can distribute, he can play defense. He is so smart with his passing. So yeah, he was amazing. And I think you're right. You know, all those stats you listed, I had highlighted as well. This is not a team that's not trying. This is not a team that's resting. You know, we're possessing, we're attacking, we're just failing to finish. Oh, you're absolutely right. Aiden Quinn is having a phenomenal season. He's in top form. It's just incredible to watch him. His distribution is on point. His accuracy, incredible. And I'm just so sad that, that he did not get the equalizer in the 93rd minute. Now, I will say that the back line and the goalkeeper for Orange County, they had to work overtime to contain us. Absolutely. So while I'm talking about about the back line, let's take a look at our formation. So I wanna give a special shout out to someone that I'm pretty sure that I saw almost on the field for Phoenix Rising and that's Monica McPherson. Kelly, do you think you mm. saw Monica McPherson right there her. on the field? I think we, yeah, I think we absolutely saw her. So who the in their on. right mind is going to let Monica McPherson have a sideline seat? Because I think she's capable of any second, just <laughs> jumping up, taking that ball and doing what needs to be done. Absolutely. <laughs> Shout out to Monica. Amazing to see her there. So our, our official lineup was mm -hmm. Andre Rawls between the sticks. We had Joey Calistri over on the right side, Tate Schmidt on the left. In front of Andre Rawls as our full backs, we had Manuel Madrid and James Musa. Um, 
how did our backline do? And Kelly, specifically, were they able to contain Ronaldo Damas, who's one of the top scorers in the USL, and were they able to contain Sean O'Coley, who's just a, a powerful forward? Yeah, they were. They really shut him down, you know, and I think it was impressive and it's unfortunate they weren't able to keep that clean sheet for, you know, for myriad reasons um, because we didn't win because we didn't pick up any points because Rawls left his awesome form as goalkeeper. You know, there's a lot of reasons why we really wish that goal by Mines hadn't gone in, but yeah, they had their hands full with Domus. I mean, he is a powerful, powerful player. And the thing is, so is a Coley and they're very different. You know, yeah. um, they're extremely different. You have to defend differently against them. So, you know, I think they did a great job. And again, Kalistri, he does a wonderful job as an outside back, but it's not necessarily his position. You know, he's a little out of position there. And so that's a bit of a change. But I think they did overall a great job. You know, things are going to get through. And that was a great play by OC, that one goal in the 18th minute. And Mines is a powerful player that they haven't defended against a lot. I think it was only his second start for OC. Um, so, yeah, overall, I think they were really impressive. And I want to say, you know, we obviously highlighted that save from Madrid. But in general, I've just really grown to love him. I think he's an amazing player. Um, I used to not feel comfortable with him instead of Farrell. And now I'm, I think they're a beautiful, like for like, I'm comfortable with either. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like <Right>. it matters. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to anyone who cares at all about my opinion, and that's oh, probably no one, but matters. you know, I just like to say it, it feels nice. Uh -huh. It feels really nice to know that we have that depth in that position. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's look at our midfield. So we already talked about David Loera had a, a an important role to play and played really well on the night. Kev Lambert did really well. I think that we took him off at halftime just to give him a rest, prepare him for the next game, which is just a few days away. And then the other midfielder was Luis Seijas. And they just can't say his name right. I hope mm. that I'm saying his name right, but I'm pretty sure that they weren't. And it was just killing me the whole time. But while we've grown to love players that have, have come in late, like Manuel Madrid, and you know, we're definitely, um, David Luera is lighting us up. I'm not so sure that we can say the same about Luis Seijas. What do you think? Yeah, well, you know, he... First of all, I totally agree with you that they're saying his name wrong, and they did for Loera as well. He was Lorea for the evening, right. <laughs> so that was unfortunate. But you know, again, we've seen Rick play these two players together, and perhaps you know because they joined the team around the same time, they have a special chemistry, whatever it may be. But you know, it's it's always a lot nicer when you have a well-oiled machine, which Phoenix Rising FC absolutely is. It's always nice when you can be subbed in and play with that starting 11. And say he has, much like Loera, has kind of started in these matches where it's not necessarily the usual Phoenix Rising team. So that's something he really has to deal with. You know, other players are out of position. I'm thinking about Rodriguez playing as a forward, Kalistri playing as an outside back. You know, these aren't necessarily um, the teams that hit the field that fully click for Phoenix Rising. So now you've got these two new players that are trying to prove themselves, that are jumping into a machine that isn't necessarily playing uh, and connecting with each other in the ways that it normally does. So I guess that's, that's for me to say that as much as we can't right now sing his praises or I'm not, um, 
it's not necessarily his fault. You know, he's being tasked with something large, which is kind of helping a team click that isn't in its natural formation. So I think he's amazing and I'm looking forward to great things with him, but you know, I don't have a lot to say for him on the evening. Yeah, hopefully his day is yet to come. Up front, yeah. we had Arturo Rodriguez, we had John Beccaro, we had Prince Sadie. I think we've talked enough about them. I want to go back and ask you how Tate Schmidt did because everybody's a bit concerned. He got two red cars in two consecutive um, in two consecutive yeah. fieldings. So how did he do as the left foot fullback? Are you confident in him going forward? It's a tough one. I am confident in him because I think he's an outstanding player. And it is because of that, that you get so disappointed with those offenses that led to, you know, the red card ejections, because you know, he doesn't need to do it. I truly think he is probably the most athletic person on the field. And again, (laughs) where am I coming from? But I just think like, in terms of like ball skills, especially for someone that's playing in the defensive line, like you can just see that he's so comfortable on the ball using all parts of his body. He's really fit he's he belongs you know so it's been hard to see him make those bad judgment calls of those unnecessary fouls when he doesn't need to as a result I do think he's probably playing a little bit more subdued uh, concerned about drawing fouls concerned about making his way you know back into that starting 11 which he didn't have to do but in general you know he's got to be a little gun shy additionally you know you have your work cut out when you've got a forward line with a Coley and Domus so that's going to prevent him from making as many runs up the field, which he's really capable of. We know he has, you know, played full forward in his past. So um, I think he did well. I have confidence in him, you know, and I think his playing this way is a little unfortunate. I'd like to see a little more aggression from him, but hey, you can't have both, right? You know, if he's trying to show us this judgment um, and that he can play a little bit more cautiously than that's what he's going to do for a couple of games. But you said we'd said enough about the forward line. I'm not sure that we have. I just wanted to say that, you know, we had some early success with Vicaro playing number nine. I'm not 100% sold on him in that role. I think he slowed the game down a little too much, and that wasn't what we needed. And I don't think he's necessarily as commanding enough in that role to get people like Rodriguez to cross it into him, to get Sadie to. You know, I don't think he really energized the attack in the way that we needed him to or kept up the press and forced those errors the way that we needed him to. So, you know, there was a lack of inspiration for me up there in the forward line. And I think that was sort of highlighted and underscored when we saw Moore come in and Quinn come in and some of these playmakers come in and make things happen. Gotcha. Just want to round out our conversation talking about the the subs there. Of course, we had Aiden Quinn and Santi Moore, as you just said, Darnell King, kudos to Darnell, fantastic. And it was really good to see David Egbo coming back and looking good and wouldn't be surprised at all if uh, we're going to see more of him, especially seeing as Maddox is out. And that's that's pretty scary that we've got two of our key players that are out. So Kelly, how do you feel about that? And if you just want to wrap it up there as well, we've got Solo and Maddox, both of them on the injury list. Yeah. And you know, that, that is disappointing. It is scary, especially because we're still trying to figure out, and I don't want to be dramatic. Phoenix rising is an attacking team. And as we'll hear elsewhere in the podcast, um, no, no, please be dramatic. (laughs) (laughs) We know they can score and we know that they have all the parts of the puzzle. It's just a matter of having them firing on all cylinders in the same game. You know, it's tough to be on the road. They're looking at a game against Vegas also away. Um, We just, 
really need to work on our finishing. This isn't news. We've been hearing this. I know we can do it. And yeah, delighted to throw Egbo back into the mix. I mean, let's have them fight for it. Let's have Maddox, Egbo, Bacaro, whoever wants it to get up there and see who can make that click, who can, you know, rally the team. We saw a lot of success when Egbo first hit the field. You know, people were rallying around him and they were playing really unified to lift him up. So loved seeing him, hope to see him back again on the field for Phoenix Rising. And listen, you know, we're looking at home stretch. We know what we need to do. We need to pick up points. We're going to be back at home soon. We've got a game against Vegas. We can do this. Um, we've got to really manage schedule. We're an amazing team and it's all going to come together. And it's great to see so many people, you know, available on our bench, available to come in. And now they're getting minutes and that's what it takes. You know, Rick knows that you've got to put them on the field and play them together. So uh, we're working toward that greater goal and it's the postseason, and it is insight. Okay. Kelly, this has been great. It's great talking football with you. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Phoenix Rising family. Next up, we've got USL Tactics, and after that, we're going to we're going to get to the Las Vegas Lights game. So stick around and thank you for listening. Yo, yo, yo! What's up, Footy fans? This is Hugh Roberts from the Backyard Footy Podcast, and you're listening to the Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family, we welcome John Morrissey, better known to many of us as USL Tactics. John, thanks for coming back on the show. In the last few days, I saw that you were tweeting about tactics and performances in the Vegas versus Phoenix Rising match. And I just got to say that like everything else you do, they are money. When I see them pop up on my screen, they make my day. So thank you too for that. They give me a perspective that I don't always notice and they definitely make the experience of the game that much richer and more enjoyable. So at this point, let me hand things over to you. Tell us why you're joining us today. Hey, so after my last appearance on the podcast, uh, we got some nice listener mail just asking to talk about the recent downturn in the Phoenix attack and specifically Solomon Asante's role within that. And I think a lot of it comes down to just squad rotation and finishing luck. And so I want to break down some of the numbers behind the performance and specifically look into this week's match against Orange County to see where Phoenix's chances are come from and how that is different than some trends earlier in the year. So let's start with the numbers. Across these last six games for Phoenix, where they've only scored seven goals total, including three scoreless matches in a row, uh, they've actually averaged 19 shots a game, which is 0.6 below the season average. And both of these tallies are comfortably first in USL. Ditto shots on target. They're averaging six across this span of games down from 6.7 for um, the run of the entire year, but again, well above the league average first by a country mile. So what about Asante? He hasn't scored much. He's registered one assist in this stretch. And yet at the same time, he's only appeared in four matches, but how do the numbers compare? Well, if you look at his total shot tally, it is 3.3 shots per match down from 3.5 which is to say essentially the same, both registering about the 80th percentile. Then if you look at his key passes, he's actually upped his number from um, 2.3 something to slightly higher 2.3 something, both of which are the 98th percentile. So I think the idea that Asante is playing poorly is something of a myth. He's certainly still been an effective creator. He's been effective at finding his shot. And I would largely put this down to finishing luck being poor. And I think that's something you've seen across the board with this side. 
um, in this stretch of games, the conversion rate for Phoenix Rising has been 6% on 114 shots. And then if you compare that to every shot that came before it this season, they finished at 12%, twice as good. And that 12 is much more similar to um, how Phoenix has finished in prior seasons. It's something that you would really expect them to regress to, especially with talented players like Asante, like Darren Maddox, who's a proven MLS caliber player. So I wouldn't be too worried necessarily, but I do think it would be valuable to kind of look into the chance creation against a team like Orange County to see maybe are these harder chances. And again, I largely think not. So let's go blow by blow. There were six shots on target. Let's look at a couple of them. Um, one of the early shots came off of a long goal kick. John Becerra picks up the ball roughly in midfield after a bit of a scrum. And then Loera, who has been a lovely addition, streaks up the pitch. He finds a, a good amount of space and fires from range. It's a shot that you'd often see Asante taking. It's nothing out of the ordinary for this Phoenix Rising side. Um, you saw two uh, headers from Madrid off of set pieces. Um, neither of those are particularly notable. They're, again, about two of those game is fairly standard for a good attacking USL side. But the second of them, notably to me, came off of a counter-pressing chance, again, driven by Loera. And that's just typical of what this rising side does that when they lose the ball in the attacking third, because they're possessing it in the attacking third so much, they really close you down hard, and that's a driver of offense. And you saw that again on the fifth shot on target that came in this match. Arturo Rodriguez presses really excellently, Schmidt picks up the interception, and you see Santi Moore get a shot from range. And not to just belabor these points, obviously this is a bit harder to imagine without video, but there's just not a ton to worry about if you're Phoenix, I think especially given you've seen a lot of squad rotation, you've seen a large number of games being played in a tight amount of uh, time. And the statistical drop-off in terms of pure creation isn't really there. So I would certainly be a little bit worried about the finishing form. I mean, yes, Dadashov is gone, but that's been the case for most of the year. So hold the faith, be comfortable in the fact that this team is still producing and they maybe are taking their foot off the pedal a little bit and yeah brilliant absolutely brilliant john that gives us so much to think about and to be honest to rejoice in so thanks for such a detailed and insightful answer and we'll have our rising fans dream up more tactics questions and we'll send them your way so awesome in our lead up to this i mentioned the las vegas lights versus phoenix rising match so let's jump right on into that this is Niall Dunn, defender of the Phoenix Rising, and you're listening to the Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family, we set the record for the highest scoring game this season when we played Las Vegas Lights in Las Vegas on Saturday, October 16th. We won six goals to three, with our very own Santi Moore scoring a brace, and the other goals coming from Luis Cejas, David Egbo, Darnell King, and Joey Calistri. Our playmaker, Aiden Quinn, put himself on top of the league for assists as he earned four assists during the game to give a total of 11 assists on the season. That's not all. Las Vegas goalkeeper Alex Rando also set records with a huge 115 saves for the season. 
That one's just a little ironic since he let in six goals on the night. Okay, Danny Arona and Kelly McCarthy are joining us to run through the game. And wow, guys, what a game it was. We'll get into the highlights and lineup. But first off, first off, let's talk about some overall thoughts. Danny, welcome to the show. We're going to start with you. What are your overall thoughts on the game? Uh, thank you so much, Neil. Always a pleasure to be back here with you guys. Uh, Kelly, you as well. And overall thoughts, it's just great to see this kind of uh, scoring total that we haven't seen for rising in a while. It's like we were spoiled the last few years and even in the beginning of the season with just like these great four or five, six goal games that we would get uh, at least once or twice a month, you know. And uh, it seems that the goal scoring has kind of taken a, a backseat to more of a midfield play, try to keep control of the game, uh, not necessarily possession, but knowing that we want to do our style of playing and kind of put the the run up the score mentality on the back burner a bit. It's great to see that back again. And uh, in a time like this where we got, I believe, two games out from uh, starting playoffs, Phoenix Rising needs to continue to send statements that Phoenix Rising is the team to beat. I think they did it here uh, in convincing fashion and definitely putting on the pressure for Tampa Bay in order who's going to claim that number one spot. Very exciting to see. And uh yeah, no, I can't wait to talk about the, the actual goals. Thank you, Danny. Over to you, Kelly. Overall thoughts? Sure. So this was such an exciting game. Like Danny said, I mean, just the intense amount of goal scoring was so fun. And especially if you're a Phoenix Rising fan, we know we haven't been in a drought compared to the rest of the league. We're doing fantastically with goal scoring, but we always want more. We're hungry for more. We're looking for those big playmakers and they came out and they had fun on the evening. It was such an awesome game. We need to pick up points, of course, looking towards the postseason. That's something that we did. We've been really needing to improve our finishing. We saw that. We saw some spectacular goals. And, you know, we mentioned Santi Moore's brace. That was super exciting as well. You know, he has, he picked up goal number 15 and 16 on the season and his first 14 were all in separate games, which by the way, we love and will take, but it was nice to see him get that brace. So there's a lot to talk about in terms of fun celebrations, in terms of our defensive effort. So generally speaking, it was awesome. And I am just really happy. Sorry, quick shout out to Las Vegas because they played their hearts out. They played well. They have not given up on their season. Not only is that good in preparing us for the postseason, but even more importantly, I really want them trying hard when the Rowdies come to town. So the Rowdies last game is at Cashman Field, and I want Las Vegas lights to beat them. So um, it was really exciting to see how hard they tried and how well they did. And as we'll discuss, this game was not locked up until it was. Guys, let's hit up some of those highlights. The first goal came in the fourth minute. It was Aiden Quinn. He's free on the left edge of the Vegas 18-yard box. He receives a pass, settles, and delivers it to striker David Egbo, who traps the ball and blasts it off with his left foot. One of the Vegas defenders did his job trying to redirect the ball with a diving header, but unfortunately for him, the diving header sent the ball bouncing behind him and into the bottom right corner. No chance for the goalie and we're on the board. Kelly, Egbo's back with a bang. 
We get the first strike. We're celebrating. Super exciting. And I just want to mention, you know, even before that assist from Quinn, you've got big playmaking from Kalistri down the right-hand side, which we'd see a lot of from him on the day. So it was awesome to see Kalistri in that forward position rather than the outside back where we've been seeing him making big plays. Quinn was a monster. You mentioned at the outset that he sets a goal for assist or, um, excuse me, sets what am I looking at? Yeah, a record for assists. He totally deserved it. He was amazing. This was beautiful. It was kind of a floating assist. And Egbo, you know, we really were energized when he joined the team. It was awesome to see him back getting the start. And he loves to turn and shoot. And that's exactly what you need from your number nine. And yeah, it was a little bit deflected. Um, but I think that ball is going in either way. So it was a really exciting goal. And boom, what was it in? Like the fourth or fifth minute. So it was an awesome start start. We know Phoenix likes to get on the scoreboard first and he really opened the scoring for us. 12 minutes later, Ryan Flood is deep in rising territory. He gets a nice pass off to Aiden Quinn in midfield. Quinn on the half turn moves fast, takes a few steps and advances the ball into the Vegas side to Vito. That's Joey Calistri, who's moving at speed towards the Vegas big box. Vito is fighting a defender for control of the ball and he's fighting gravity to stay upright. Against all the odds, Joey wins, gets a great shot off, beating the goalie and we're shouting his praises from the roof tops Danny what a goal absolutely I think one of the things that's definitely understated in this goal is that uh when the forward goes in and and it's one-on-one with the defender to see who's going to get to the ball first it is so easy to try to put everything into your shove even if you don't extend the arm it's so easy to like put it a little too much sauce on it knock down the defender and nine times out of ten is going to be a foul called against the attacker Kalistri did just enough to get his body in front without knocking him over, without making it appear to be a foul, protected the ball perfectly and still had the wherewithal within a second to not only do that, but pick his target, but it did not panic, very calm, cool and collected. He put it into the bottom of uh, corner, into the net, second goal for rising. Uh, Joy Kalistri created this, like a lot of people say, well, it's a one-on-one, he should be scoring. No, there's so much that goes into this play. And Kalistri shows once again why he is so, so important as part of this Phoenix Rising uh, roster. Yeah, Danny, after that play, Joey maintained his composure, ran to the sideline and just joined in with that cornhole tournament that was going on. What a fantastic way to basically give the finger to the lights and all the stupidity that they do on the sideline. I could not get enough of that. I saw that happen. I saw him go to the sideline. The kids there were like, what are you doing? <laughs> he, he goes in with that celebration. Like, if you're gonna if you're gonna put props in front of me, I'm gonna use them. And and can <laughs> I so can I just say, you know, you make a really good point about how he handled that defender with just a little bit of shoulder. Well, he had to do the same thing over there with the cornhole. He kind of had to bump someone out of the way. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Guys, one minute later, one minute later, Santi Moore gives a masterclass in dribbling. On the left side of the field, he powers through two defenders. Incredible composure, beautiful footwork. One of the defenders falls over like a skittle. The other is trying to drag Santi Moore to the ground, but Santi keeps his focus. He cuts right, takes a few steps, and boom, the shot. Low and hard, past two defenders, into the bottom right corner of the goal. Kelly, Santi Moore, doing it the Santi Moore way. I love it. I know you love it too. Indeed I do. But you know, this doesn't always work. And you know, this is an example of what happens when you're on fire, when you're confident, when you're having fun. And when you know that like, 
you have nothing to lose. So Santi Moer is a master at heading down the left, cutting into the right. You know, a better team is going to stop him defensively. I think he has a self-pass around one of the defenders, which is one of my favorite things in the world. So he truly beat the defense. I think he beat three of them. And it's a powerful shot. You know, no matter how far he's traveled with the ball, he always saves enough for a powerful shot. So, you know, this was an amazing example of Moore's prowess, of his brilliance, of his strength, of his shooting. But, you know, also Vegas let themselves down a little bit here. And it, it was uh, a, a little bit of challenging defensively for them. But, you know, credit goes to Moar, and this was his first of what we know will be two. So it was a really exciting goal. And I think it's nice to just see him have some success. Moar tries so hard in every game, and it's awesome when he can connect. And he, too, had a lovely celebration throwing himself down on a sideline mattress. <laughs> Yeah, they've they've had trucks on the sideline when they're trying to um, sell trucks with uh, whoever their their main sponsor is over there. They've had toddler pools. I never got that one. Why they had toddler pools on the sideline? I think it was just for the people on the sideline for those uh, more expensive tickets that they would have something to dunk their feet into to keep them cool during those hot Vegas nights. Then they had that cornhole celebration and then they had mattresses on the side of the field. And Danny, it was like, hey, Santi Moore says to Joey Calistri, hey, you're not going to outdo me. I'm going to do one better than what you just did. Ran over, jumped onto the mattress and he's smiling at the camera. So funny. Uh, and that, that's what I like is that it goes directly to the cameras. I like this is for you guys out there, like to know that we're having fun out here. And yeah, a little, little nod there to Kalistri saying, uh, well, anything you can do, I can do that. <laughs> that's exactly right. Guys, we're three goals up. Um, goal number four wasn't our goal. In fact, we're just sitting back in our chairs, barely catching our breaths, still smiling from more celebration. And uh-oh, here comes Vegas. Specifically, here comes midfielder, Daniel Trejo. Daniel was picked up this season by LAFC, who sent him to play for the lights. And here he shows his quality, shows why, why Bob Bradley put faith in him. Putting, his, putting the, the Vegas team on his shoulders, he took Phoenix by surprise with a cross from the left side into the six-yard box. Cal Jennings, who also signed for LAFC this year, was there to finish it off. Jennings is a competent finisher, showing his class, showing his ability to be at the right place at the right time. He scores another goal in the 41st minute, yeah. And then with our hearts beating out of our chest just before halftime, Daniel Trejo, that I just talked about, gets off another shot. And this one hits the inside of the upright, almost a goal. What's happening? This brings us into halftime. We've got a, a score of three to two. It's almost three all. It's a roller coaster. Danny, you first, then Kelly. How are you feeling at halftime? How are you feeling about that aggression from Vegas? Uh, at, at halftime, the, especially those uh, those closing minutes where a lot of, we, we almost went in there tied, we, you know, with the, with the dry halftime. And it's kind of like, uh, like we say in Spanish, un balde de agua fría, like it's a, it's a bucket of cold water dumped on you like, hey, you need to wake up because this is not just an offensive game for us. We need to do more on the defensive side. And it's all fun and games to go out there and make fun of sponsors, uh, just celebrate in front of fans, do all sorts of things. But if you're not doing your job defensively, you're going to get hit in the mouth. You know, you know, boxer lets down his guard. He's going to get hit in the mouth. And I think that's what happened to Phoenix Rising. Uh, the first goal for, for Vegas, I mean, Danny Traco, he's been a problem all year. 
and uh, he went went down uh, went down the sideline, get a got a perfect pass. And Jennings, uh, wh whether or not he has uh, what it takes to be in LAFC or not, or in the MLS or not, nobody's gonna miss from that distance with that perfect pass right there. So of course he gets that first goal in. And uh, the second one, I, I believe uh, Lalo had a lot to do with it. Lalo the guy that had no reason to be outside his line. He had two defenders on, on the guy with the ball, plus the third one coming in. It And he wasn't even heading towards the goal. So he had no reason to be off his line that much. Definitely out of position. Uh, uh, mistake that should not be made at the professional level by him. But there you go with that second goal. So uh, it's kind of like a wake-up call. So I, I, think, I think that's exactly what happened. And Rick had a... Obviously, I had a talk with them. They're like, hey, we, we have overlooked teams in the past, and you saw what happened. Uh, we all know what happened uh, midweek with OC. Like, you know, none of the players wanted to have any anything like that be relived. So uh, definitely kind of that, that that's the best way to describe it, just a wake-up call at halftime. Over to you, Kel. Your halftime thoughts. What happened to Phoenix? They showed dominance, and then they were completely overwhelmed. Yeah, I think Danny said it all. I was on mute, but I was just sitting here going, uh-huh. Mm hmm. Yep. Like, I mean, he really summarized it really well. And I love that expression, you know, a bottle of cold water poured on your head or whatever. That's exactly right. And he's also right. This has happened to Phoenix before. You know, if we underestimate a team, oh, we're supposed to go in there and win. That's a very risky position for anyone to be in. Nothing is locked up. Nothing is over until it's over. All of the teams in the Pacific Division are excellent. And, you know, they've got some really strong players on both sides of the field. We talked about Rando and his ability to make big saves. Cal Jennings is also a huge threat and he has that MLS experience. He knows how to stay composed, how to put that goal in the back of the net. He also knows how to stick with it. Phoenix has had issues with finishing, not on the day, but you know, before this. And he is, I don't want to say a master class, but he is a very classic number nine who is absolutely ready to gobble up whatever lands in front of that goal. Specifically, if you look at goal number two as well, you can see what a great number nine he is because his players are always looking for him. They know he is nearby. They know he is ready. And there was a great tap back to him. And I totally agree with Danny. Um, Lalo should not have been off his line like that. So we were having some issues defensively. We have this issue sometimes Phoenix Rising does where if we're just killing it on offense, sometimes we can slip a little bit on defense. And, you know, a team that's going to make it all the way through the postseason, a championship team needs both. We need to be firing at both ends of the park. And I think we were slipping a little bit. You know, we'll talk about our lineup. We had a little bit of a different structure, some different personnel in our back line. And I think Delgado was just a little bit lacks here. I think we had some issues on the right side, a little bit of weakness and a Cal Jennings and a good team and a good coach is going to capitalize on that. And that's what they did. So, you know, heading into that tunnel, I felt good because I knew we were having fun and I knew we were going to continue to score goals. You could kind of feel that energy. But on the other hand, I was kind of like happy they got that water poured over their heads. They needed that reminder to come out strong on both ends. So, you know, you can't count out a team. It's not over till it's over. And that's sort of what I was looking forward to is seeing how we were going to tighten up defensively moving into that second half. We had a couple of substitutions during the halftime break. Arturo Rodriguez entered the match in place of David Loera and John Becquero came on for David Egbo. And really looking back on it now, we can say let the fun begin, but in the moment, it was really anybody's game. So Phoenix's fourth goal came in the 52nd minute from the left side of the pitch. Aidan Quinn lofted the ball up and into the goal box, and our fullback, Darnell King, is there. He gets his head to the ball, redirects it into the goal. Danny, how did you like that? 
I absolutely loved it. Darnell, I think any time that there's no, if Asante is not there, there's no uh, uh, Maddox in there. When Dadashoff was, was in town, if he wasn't there, like his eyes would light up. This might be my chance to score another goal because he loves to go up and loves to attack. And if there's no set number nine, he'll fill in that role, no problem. And uh, I just love the confidence that uh, King brings. And of course, getting that fourth goal, especially, you know, early on, I believe it was like seven minutes into the into the second half. So like kind of like, all right, let's calm down. We're back in control and now let's keep it. Let's not let this game get out of hand again. We're not going to let it get close. And Darnell is the kind of player to bring that kind of mentality in to a uh, second half starting. Our next goal, our fifth goal, came in the 70th minute, and it's a more classic. On Facebook, on Facebook, rising fan Danny Bruner posted, death, taxes, and Santi cutting right and smashing. I love that quote, and I've got plans to paint it on my bedroom ceiling as soon as we're done here, guys. Danny, I think we're to the point where Santi Moore actually talks to defenders and tells them, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to race forward, cut right, and smash the ball into the goal. Let's see how you do. So I know you spend time on the field with Phoenix Rising covering the games. Um, and of course, I'm just kidding, but it's like it's what Santi Moore is built to do. It, exactly right. And uh, and even though he may, he, who knows, he may say, he may be that bravado, <laughs> but uh, he definitely does a lot of talking on the field. If he, and if a, def, a defender gets the better of him, he does tell him, all right, we'll see next time. And we're going to go again. And um, he may be what people might call a one trick pony. If that's all he's going to do is cut left and cut right, try to try to score on the side. Arjun Robin did that his whole career. Nobody could stop him. You knew going in what was going on. <laughs> Nobody could stop him. That is the same kind of mentality that Santi Mor has and that uh, that need to score for him. It's not a hobby. It's not a we'll see every once in a while. No, he needs to score every game. And um, we, he's already had two streaks of six goals, uh, uh, six games scoring. Hopefully this is the start of another one right here going into the playoffs. Absolutely. Can I say the something there now? Score- Go ahead. Sorry. Um, It's such a good point. And, you know, I really like what Danny's saying. Like, if this is his one trick, well, he's insanely good at it and it's going to keep working. And I agree. You know, sometimes I, I kind of jab and say, oh, I wish he had a few more tricks, you know, up his sleeve or whatever. But on the other hand, one thing that he really also brings to the game is he's very selfless. Like it's weird because I 100% agree with Danny that he wants that goal so badly. It is, it's right. It's a need, but he also can be really selfless and smart with his plays. And the goal before this goal, number four, you know, it was a big cross from Kalistri again, playmaking down that right-hand side, which actually was to Moar who headed it to Quinn, who then had that assist to King. Sorry. I'm tracing the ball back so far, but I just want to mention, you know, were it not for that selfless header from Moar, that goal doesn't happen. So, you know, he really is also creative and he's a great teammate as well, you know, making things happen for that front line. So just wanted to throw it out there that I I really see that being another strength that he brings as well to our front line. Sure. And when Moore hits the ball, he hits the ball. And we saw that last night where it was, it was straight to the keeper. So Randall was right in front of it and he's put out his hands. He stopped the ball, but there was just so much force on it that the ball just went up over his head and into the goals. So yeah, it's fantastic when, when you're seeing Santi Moore on form. It's one of those days as a keeper, like myself playing, like uh, myself playing keeper. I remember these kind of days, especially from that very first goal that Rising had. 
you're in position, you know where the ball is going, you're going to get it, and your own defender deflects yeah. it off and it's a goal. It's kind of one of those things like, okay, this is, is this going to be one of those games? And it, it exactly is. And actually, I am actually a big fan of his because every time we play, he puts on double-digit saves. He has such a great keeper, such a great young man. He has a bright, bright future ahead of him. And um, he just uh, – yeah. I don't want to say, like, he needs a better team, but right. uh, maybe some more support for him. But, no, hands down, I'm a huge, huge fan of his uh in in goal it's funny you say that because we're really big fans of his too you know he's just it's weird you'd think you'd hate him because he does come up with these huge saves but there's just something about him where it's like he's that good you know he's really talented and he keeps trying and i agree with you imagine if he had an even stronger team ahead of him you know guys next to score was vegas it was cal jennings it was his hat trick aided again by daniel trejo the score is 5-3. It's the 83rd minute, and we're still feeling that anything can happen. Kelly, at this point, what are you feeling? Sure. Well, you know, the first thing I'm feeling, to be quite honest with you, is pretty happy for Cal Jennings. I mean, I can't deny it. It's exciting for him to have gotten the hat trick. And as I said kind of in my opening comments, you know, they're just going to stick with it. And this is critically important that we realize that. You know, it's not enough to be having fun on offense. We absolutely have to tighten up and figure out what's going on defensively in games like this where we're giving up so many goals. So, you know, it was a scramble. It was absolutely a lot happening. And when there's a scramble, when you're in the mixer like that, it's a good number nine. It's a Cal Jennings that's going to come out on top. You know, it's going to come out with that great placement. But in general, you know, our defense was having a hard time. It seemed to me with some communication. We'll get into the lineup a little bit, but we know we had um, uh not Kalistri. Farrell was a little bit out of position. He's on the opposite side. We've got a new player back there in Niall Dunn. So, you know, I think we, I don't want to say we had fallen apart, but I think we were showing there was a little bit of lack of leadership. Maybe that had to do with Rawls not being in goal. So I think that's what that came down to was just who was going to take the reins of the Phoenix defense and kind of clarify what was happening in that back line. And Phoenix was there to, I'm sorry, Vegas was there to capitalize on that. Well, guys, I think we got the insurance goal just two minutes later. Um, it was in the 85th minute, and it was Luis Sejas. Rodriguez had the ball. He's over on the right-hand side, over by the corner. He turns, does some fancy footwork, and it seemed to me that he got a shot off, that he was aiming for goal. Luis Sejas was in the middle, in the box, maybe not expecting it, but he managed to, let's say, trap it and score with it. Danny. I agree 100%. I think uh, Arturo was 100% going for goal. He's trying to get in on his goal scoring, trying to get that that insurance, that dagger that's finally like you're not getting back up again because they were they were they were trying to do it. Uh, and uh, just a quick thing on that last uh, Vegas goal, about a minute before that, um, Jennings hit the crossbar, hit the post. And so, like, so he was close even then, and then he got his hat trick. And so we knew they weren't going to stop attacking until we finally put him down. Arturo tried to do that. Uh, Luis Secas, yep, he just found a little gift right there in, in his in his crossing route, and uh, he was able to control it. That's the important part is that he was able to control it and react uh, quickly before anybody could co- come in and take it from him before uh, Rambo could react. He put the ball into the net, 6-3, let's go home, let's get back to Phoenix and uh, wrap it up for this one. 
Absolutely. And to be honest, I was looking for some golden moments from Luis, and maybe tonight is the start of what we're going to see as his golden time at Phoenix Rising. So guys, let's get into the lineup. We had Delgado between the sticks over on the right fullback. We had Darnell King, left fullback Ryan Flood. And then brand new to the Phoenix lineup is Niall Dunn as cent- as a, a center back right there with Joey Farrell. So Kelly, how are you feeling about the, the choice of Lalo in goal? And of course, Niall Dunn on the back line. Well, it was so exciting to see Niall Dunn on the back line and congratulations to him for making it into the lineup for playing the full 90. Um, that's super exciting. I understand his birthday is like maybe tomorrow or something, his 17th birthday. So, you know, I oh. just want to uh, give a quick shout out to how unaccomplished I was at age 16. So really proud of him and excited <laughs> for him. Um, and, you know, that said, it wasn't necessarily our best defensive effort. I think we saw, uh, you know, a little bit of disorganization back there. You've got Delgado, who's awesome. You know, he used to play for Las Vegas Lights. So I know Rick always thinks it's pretty fun to put players in who were on the opposing team. Um, and, you know, they understand the team. They've played with them. So, you know, that might have been part of the reasoning as well as giving Rawls some time off. But, you know, I think it's a big risk when you put a player who's so new to the starting lineup, such as Niall Dunn, in front of a keeper who doesn't always start as well. So, you know, those are two big changes. And, um, you know, regular listeners to the podcast will know that I don't love big changes. I'm a little more conservative (laughs) like that. And we did see, you know, a lot of goals led in a couple of which maybe shouldn't have been. But other than that, for the changes that we made for as much as we were looking for the whole team to move forward and contribute to the offense, you know, we were successful there. So, you know, it was it wasn't necessarily our best evening defensively, but there were some bright spots for sure. And there were some exciting things happening. Um, and it was nice to see them able to work with a little bit of a different personnel back there and still get the job done. Danny, before we go to midfield, let's talk about Ryan Flood. I was surprised to see him on there. Um, I thought he did really well on the night. What are your thoughts about Ryan Flood? Uh, Ryan Flood, I believe he's going to be that player that we saw in the beginning of the season. He just needs a little bit more time in that position all this time, especially in this Phoenix Rising uh, lineup that is so stacked. It's hard to get on the field, let alone be a starter. Uh, So just that lack of continuously being on the field and playing might have affected him a little bit. But I remember he was a huge threat in the beginning, being able to lock guys down in the back and still have that attacking mentality to get in some good crosses, get in a shot or two. And uh, he has a very, very disciplined left foot. Like he, I remember his shots because a lot of them came towards me and my camera in the beginning of the season. And uh, he is very, very dangerous to to play, Uh, but he just needs that continuation. So if he gets a game or two underneath him and get back into form, it's really going to help him. I believe uh, Rick uh, Chance put a lot on Joey Farrell this, uh, this, this game, not only with the, um, the start of uh, Dunn, but of course, with Delgado, uh, I can see why he did it with Delgado because um, you always need to get your backup sometime. Andre Ross is 100% the starter on this team. He is the guy that's going to be moving forward during this playoffs. But God forbid something happened to him. Next man up has to be ready at all times. And so to give him this still competitive football before we get into the playoffs, get him a taste of what that's going to be like again, except for uh, in addition to all the sporadic starts he's gone throughout the season, just keep those minutes going. Uh, this is a young Las Vegas team that 
they could have afforded to do be, play a little bit risky. We saw it on the scoreboard, of course, reflected on it. You put up three goals on a USL team. A lot of the chance, a lot of times, you're going to win that game. It just so happened that this was against Phoenix Rising, so just wasn't enough. It was surprising to me that no substitutions were made on the back line, but all of our midfield were substituted. So we started with David Loera on the right, Aiden Quinn on the left, and Kevin Lambert in the middle. Kelly, how did they do? I thought our midfield was excellent. You know, we've been seeing Loera get the start, but we haven't necessarily seen see seen him get the start with sort of that normal DNA for Phoenix Rising. And with these last couple of games, as Danny just said, you know, Chance is definitely mixing it up. He's definitely seeing who he has available for the postseason, getting people ready. But it was nice to see Loera in there with Lambert and Quinn and how the three of them gelled. And I thought it was awesome. You know, I thought he played really well. It was interesting to see him kind of get the start over Rodriguez, but we know Rodriguez was just playing in the forward line a couple days prior. So I thought they played well together. And I thought, you know, based on the amount of distribution of um, the goal scoring that we saw, you know, they were effective there in the middle, especially Quinn. I mean, I've been singing his praises for weeks for weeks now. We know he just, you know, got that record in terms of assists. And he's just been playing really smart. I think it was goal number two when you saw that through ball. You know, we just don't see enough of those. It has to do with the forward line timing their runs appropriately, making themselves known and available. But Quinn has the vision. You know, you can see him with through balls. You can see him with lofting balls over. He knows when to hold. He knows when to advance. So, um Man of the match, question mark. I thought he was awesome. And in general, I thought the midfield played really well, really efficiently. Yeah, he's definitely got my man of the match. Danny? Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. We had five different players on the score sheet. Santi, of course, with the brace. But the man of the match had to go to Aiden Quinn. Like He is the catalyst that makes all these plays happen. The vision, the intensity, just the, the, the leader on this team on the day. So... Aiden Quinn definitely putting himself out there. And yeah, he gets my vote for man of the match. Let's move to our attackers. Danny, I'm going to stick with you. We had Joey Calistri on the right side, Santi Mora on the left, and David Egbo in the middle. How did you like that lineup? Uh, I liked it in terms of this kind of experimental start for Egbo. We knew what he could do in the beginning. Uh, he was a young player that still needed to get like one or two more tricks, get it, get his feet underneath him to get to get on the pitch, uh, to be able to, to play on the, I guess, on the same level as the Phoenix Rising just freight train that is the goal-scoring machine. And to give him the confidence to go uh, to be the starter right here was the, a huge boost for him. Getting the shot off, sure, it was deflected, but he was confident enough to get the shot off, to be dis- disruptive in the middle as a number nine. I believe this uh, I believe this was the right choice. Uh, give Maddox uh, some, some time to, to rest and recover before we head into uh, these final, this final stretch of the season. So that was definitely the right choice for me. Joey Calistri, you can tell me that he's going to start in forward, mid, defender. Hell, if you tell me he's going to start as keeper, I'm confident in him. <laughs> he has never let us down wherever we put him on the pitch. Uh, and uh, Santi Moore, what can you say about him as a forward? Absolutely. So, guys, we talked about our substitutions at halftime, about John Becquero coming in for David Egbo, and then for Arturo Rodriguez coming in for David Loera. And they each did really well. We saw Luis Sejas coming in the 62nd minute for Aiden Quinn, and we know that he finished, so definitely hats off to him. <laughs> Ivan Gutierrez came on. That was in the 76th minute. He came on for Joey Calistri. Um, so how did he do? 
Kelly, do you want to take that one? You know, we didn't see a ton from him. And, you know, as Danny mentioned, when we first talked about the starting uh, forward line there, you know, it was really cool. He called it experimental. It's true. I think we've been kind of experimenting with who's going to be the right combination. And of course, that's going to be made more challenging by knowing Maddox has a little bit of an injury with knowing Asante has an injury. So this experiment was working really well. So I would have liked to have seen them continue. You know, it's hard when you've got people that are playing on the day, clicking so well, having so much fun, and then you mix it up. So, you know, that's a tough thing to walk into, but I thought Gutierrez did well. He certainly tried really hard. He didn't get on the scoreboard, but he continued to keep up the pressure. And that's what you're asking him to do. Additionally, you're looking for him to get more minutes. You know, he can hang. I think, I think he looks good. Um, And at that point, you know, there was a little bit of a different, uh, a, a little bit of a different look up front there. You know, he's playing with Vaccaro rather than playing with Egbo. So things had shifted, but, you know, I think he up-leveled it. He brought some energy and he's certainly quick to turn and shoot. So no complaints. Something that I was very excited about, we had two new players on the field yesterday. We already talked about Niall Dunn, but we didn't talk about the substitution. When Kev Lambert came off, we saw Jonathan Levin come in. Now, it was late, late in the game. It was in the 87th minute. But it's nice to see that we've got a player that can take over from Lambert if need be. Any thoughts on that, Danny? For me, it's it's one of these things where it's like, um, look at who is there in your position and then see, like, make an argument to why you should be on the pitch. But in these kind of situations, for me, it's like, all right, your number's being called right now. Uh, whether you get 30 minutes, whether you get five minutes, you got to leave it all out there and you got to show the coach why he should pick you for the next uh, for the next time out. And I believe he did just enough to get that number called again. Maybe in the last two uh, games, if if, if uh, Tampa Bay drops the next two games or whatever, and we play in one that's pretty much I don't want to say meaningless, but the, the we're already locked into first place. Those are the kind of really experimental games where we're going to have to see lineups change we're going to see players that normally don't play get a get a shot of uh to get uh, time on the pitch get time to acclimate themselves with their teammates and i believe that uh he did just enough in order for the coach to keep him in mind for the rotation okay guys let's wrap it up with that we've got two games left so kelly over to you with some closing comments Sure. Well, this was a really, really exciting game. I mean, things that were happening on the pitch, as well as we know all the craziness that was happening off the pitch. So it was so much fun to watch. I'm delighted that we picked up the points and I'm delighted that we did so with some strong finishing and some creative attack. I know I sound like a broken record, but these are the things I've been looking for. So as we move into this final stretch back at Wild Horse Pass, I'm delighted we're playing Sacramento. We're playing Tacoma. These are definitely winnable games for us. Danny just mentioned, you know, if the Rowdies were to drop points, whoo, I hadn't even thought about how great that would be. But, you know, <laughs> we're just counting on the Rowdies having a strong finish and we're counting on Phoenix Rising having a strong finish as well. And I know we're going to be there to cheer them on. I'm delighted it's back at Wild Horse Pass where we're even more comfortable. And I just want to see how we continue to put these puzzle pieces together. I'm curious who will be on the forward line for Phoenix Rising. And I'm curious to see how we're going to play and what we're capable of when we've got that back line churning out strong defense, amazing distribution and playmaking through the middle, and then finishing up front. So I hope that these next few games are just kind of that master class of the best of the West. And we just finish super strong. I know we're going to. 
Danny, over to you for the last word. For me, this is a scoreline that we definitely needed to see again. I remember before the Oakland Roots game a couple weeks ago, I had said, okay, we're coming off of a victory in Orange County. It's okay, a 1-0 victory, but Phoenix Wright needs to go back and get their piece on Oakland Roots and run up the goal score. And I remember asking, I don't want to win 2-0, 3-0. I want you to run up the score. Give me five, six, seven goals against Oakland. We ended that game with the 1-0 win. And that still kind of left the bad taste in my life. That's not what I wanted. I wanted dominant victory. Follow that up with a loss to Orange County. So we were, I was desperately in need of, you know, it was that sort of dominant victory back to let people know who Phoenix Rising are. Because, uh, like, speaking that a little bit more, you, you know, kind of more FIFA talk, letting letting uh, a team like Oakland, letting OC disrespect Phoenix Rising like that, that cannot stand. Pretty soon, <laughs> anybody's going to think they can beat Phoenix Rising. You got to know who you're playing with here. And this is a statement game made by them. And I hope the next two are also statement games to go into this playoffs. This has been great. Kelly, thank you for coming on. It's been great talking football with you. So much fun. So glad Danny was here. Thanks for having me. Danny, thank you so much for taking the time to come in and give us your insights and talk some Phoenix Rising with us. Of course, anytime you guys want, you know guys know how to reach me. Phoenix Rising family, we have a lot more to share with you, so stick around for the next segment, and thank you for listening. My name's Alex. I am a member of Los Bandidos Football Firm, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. Hello, USL Championship League fans. Thanks for joining me, Kelly McCarthy, to talk USL Championship standings and to talk about the 2021 league playoffs. We're going to take a little time to explain how the playoffs are structured and what they would look like if they were played this very weekend. Niall McCarthy is with me to discuss the playoff structure and to share some highlights and notables from across the league from week 26, and even to talk about some things to look forward to as we move into week 27 and the end of the regular season. Niall, welcome. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me on, Kel. Let me start with the overarching basics. We all know there are two conferences, each with two divisions. We also know that the top four teams in each division makes the playoffs. This is why we've been talking about the standings each week and why we've been talking about the teams that are in position one through four in each division. Those are the teams who are in the playoff contention. Now that we're getting closer to the postseason, those teams are getting more and more likely to be the actual teams we'll see moving into the playoffs. So when you think about the playoffs and about the structure, start by thinking about the final as being played between the Western Conference champion and the Eastern Conference champion. That's the end goal. That's the full enchilada. We'll work backward from there. So in each conference, the playoffs essentially start in the quarterfinals. You have eight teams. That's the top four sides from each division playing four games, a standard quarterfinal, which in this case is single round knockout, one game to determine if you advance. The winning teams from those initial four games advance to the semifinals. That's now four teams, two games. And the winner of those games advances to the conference final. Of course, the winner of that game is the conference winner. So if you keep winning, you'll be crowned the conference winner after three games. At that point, you have one more game to win. And of course, that's the league final, which is against the winner from the other conference. And the winner of that game, you got it, championship league winner. 
So those are the basics. I think it's pretty straightforward cut and dry playoff stuff, but there are a few other factors you should be aware of to have the full and complete picture. The first is who plays who in the first round or the quarterfinals. And the second is where they play. How is that determined? Niall, before I move on, were the basics pretty clear? Is there anything that should be underscored at that point? I think you're doing a great job so far. Okay. So in terms of those lingering questions, the first is just who plays who, or maybe whom. I'm really not sure, grammatically. (laughs) So picture the quarterfinals in one conference, let's say the Western Conference. Consider the quarterfinals as broken into two unique pairings, meaning we know there are eight teams and four games. So two of those games are paired together, as are the other two. In the first pairing, you have the Mountain Division's number one team playing against the Pacific Division's number four team. Also in this pairing, you have the Pacific Division's number two team playing the Mountain Division's number three team. So these two games are paired like this because the winner of those games will play each other in the semifinal. By pairing them this way, which is Mountain 1 in one game and Pacific 2 in the other game, you're more likely to get a semifinal that pairs teams from the two divisions against each other. So just for clarity, I'll talk about the other pairing of games in the quarterfinal for the Western Conference. You've got Pacific Team 1 playing against Mountain Team 4. And you have Mountain Team 2 playing against Pacific Team 3. So in just a few minutes, Nia and I will put real teams into this bracket and further illustrate what this looks like. But the playoff structure is basically structured this way to knock off the lesser teams and stack the results to favor a playoff between the top seeds from each division. But we know that rarely works. There are many factors that impact the outcome of these games. And that brings us to our final consideration, home field advantage. We know this is a big factor in the outcome of a game. So now that we know who plays whom, let's find out where they play. Niall, shut me up for a minute and tell us how location is determined. Yeah, for sure, Kelly. Each team's home field advantage is based on where they finished in their division standings. Another phrase that's used is where the teams seeded first through fourth place. So, for example, Mountain 1 is going to play Pacific 4, and it's going to be played in the location that's seated highest. So it's going, to be play, it's going to be played in Mountain 1. The other teams in that pairing is Pacific 2 and Mountain 3. And Pacific 2 is seated higher than Mountain 3. So that's going to be played in Pacific 2. So far, so good? Yeah. So basically in the quarterfinals in that first round, seeds 1 and 2 play at home. Awesome. So then after the quarterfinals, And then we move on to the semifinals. Things change at that point. Home field advantage from there on out is based on the points that your team earned during the regular season. And that can be different. So we know that some divisions, their their points are clocking up much higher than other divisions. So it just becomes really important to get as many points as you can in the season. Are we good? Absolutely. And so I don't know if you're going to get there, but basically from there on out, it's all based on points. Home field advantage is based on points. So it's just that first round that's based on your divisional ranking. 
That's it. Exactly. Perfect. Okay. So, and just to put that in context, you guys have heard us talking for weeks and weeks about wanting to rack up points. And that's where it comes into play. You know, it, it comes into play in terms of having that home field advantage all the way through the playoffs. So um, those are the basics. They're behind us. Let's discuss the standings after week 26. And then we'll wrap up after we talk about the standings by putting those actual teams from the Western Conference into those playoffs pairings that we just talked about. Now, as we'll discuss, the positions within the divisions are not locked. So these are hypothetical. Um, but it basically would tell you if the playoffs were played this weekend, who would play? Now, keep in mind, the playing field, as they say, is still not level. So we're moving into week 27. There are still teams that have played a different number of games. Most teams across the USL have played 30 games. They have two games left in the remaining two weeks of the regular season. But there are definitely a few sides that have three games left, and there are even a few that have four. So remember, everyone plays a total of 32 games in the regular season. Okay, off to the stand starting with the Eastern Conference and the Atlantic Division. Ooh. So <laughs> I hope that was an ooh of excitement. So looking at the Atlantic Division, you have in places one through four, Tampa Bay Rowdies, Charlotte Independence, Pittsburgh Riverhounds SC, and the Miami FC. So just a few notables from the Atlantic division and Niall and I will kind of go back and forth with things we think are notable, but we know that the Tampa Bay Rowdies have clinched a division spot, excuse me, have clinched a spot in the playoffs and indeed have clinched their division. So they're number one in the Atlantic division. And this is the only division where all four teams are known. So the teams that I just listed are the teams that will hit the playoffs. The other four have all been eliminated. And this is truly the only the division that looks like this. Um, of course, positions two, three, and four are not yet determined. Just position one is. Niall, what else do you have notable regarding the Atlantic division from week 26? Yeah, you know, we're really interested in how Tampa Bay are doing regarding their form. So they were playing really well, winning, 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 stacking up nine points. And then they lost to Pittsburgh Riverhounds. That was on Sunday, October 10th. And then just a few days later, on Friday, October 15th, they drew with New York Red Bulls. So they're losing points, and that is just fantastic for us, seeing as we lost to Orange County during the week there. Right. So in the race for those points, which will determine home field advantage, if, God willing, we play them in the final, we want them to drop points. So those that loss and that draw are really noteworthy. And I think also noteworthy is looking forward for the Tampa Bay Rowdies. They're playing Miami FC, the number four seed this Wednesday. So that's a game to watch and uh, ideally a game for them to lose. Yeah, yeah, totally. And they could lose this, especially we're just, we're looking at Chris Cortez, a former striker of ours who signed with the Miami FC just a few weeks ago. And he's likely on the field in that game. And, you know, we could be owing him a debt of gratitude if he puts a goal, a few goals in against Tampa Bay. More so than we already do mm -hmm. um, for his performance in our Western Conference Division finals a few years ago. You but um, 
You know, that said, also note, please, from this division, the Rowdies will be playing in Las Vegas. That's their final game at Cashman Field. And also just remember that they have nine potential points still available to them. So they're one of those teams that still has three games left. So they have the potential of earning 71 total points. Um, Anything else from Atlantic before we move to the standings in the Central Division? Yeah, we just got to be watching out for Charlotte Independence. We played Charlotte Independence in Charlotte back, I think it was in July, and they beat us 1-0, and they have had an up-and-down season. And right now, as you mentioned, they're number two in the division, and they're on top form because they won four of the, the, their last four games. So basically, I was going to say they won four of their five last games, but it's more impactful to say that they won their last four games. Yeah. So they're looking really good. So it'll be interesting to see how they do come the playoffs. Exactly. And how we would stack up against them if we were to play them at home. Right. <laughs> you know, wishful thinking, compare everything to Phoenix Rising. So yeah. moving on to the central division, let's look at teams one through four in this division. We've got Birmingham Legion FC. Louisville City FC, Memphis 901 FC, and FC Tulsa. So of those four teams, three of them have clinched their playoff spot. Those top three, Birmingham, Louisville, Memphis. So the order is not known yet in terms of who will have the number one, two, three, four seed, but we do know three teams that are in the playoff. Um, Otherwise, we've got some other players really in contention. Team number five, six, and seven are still very much in the running. Um, That's OKC Energy. Oh, excuse me. Five and seven are still in the running. Atlanta United, two, as well as Sporting Kansas City, two have both been eliminated. So there's two more teams that potentially could hit that playoff spot, OKC Energy FC and Indy 11. So definitely keep your eyes on the Central Division. We want to see how they stack up, as well as who clinches that last spot. And just with the Phoenix Rising connection, I'm not sure that we've got any connections with FC Tulsa or with OKC Energy, but we definitely have connections with Indy 11. Our former goalkeeper, Eric Dick, is their goalkeeper. AJ Cochran on our back line, he's playing for Indy 11. And there's one other Kelly. Is it Adewale? Did he recently yeah, sign with them? Toby Adewale okay. is also over there with Indy 11. But just before we leave the Central Division, can I just mention that Louisville City were riding high. We're the number one team for the longest time. And now they've been eclipsed by Birmingham Legion. And of course, um, um, uh, Junior Flemings play, plays with Birmingham mm-hmm. Legion. So uh, they are on a really good run in their last five games. They won four. They did draw their actual last game to OKC Energy. That was kind of a fluke. But yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how these guys play out. And I just want to say that Louisville City have won the USL Championship twice before. So we're always keeping an eye on them. We really are. All right. Awesome. Well, that takes us out of the Eastern Conference, moves us over into the Western Conference. And let's start with the Mountain Division. Let me list teams one through four for you to start. We've got El Paso Locomotive FC, San Antonio FC, Colorado Springs Switchback Switchbacks FC and New Mexico United. So interesting here in the Mountain Division, only one team has clinched the playoffs and they have also clinched the division and that's the El Paso Locomotive FC. And I'll start us off with some notables from this division because it has to do with that very team, El Paso Locomotive. They recently suffered a loss 
They suffered a loss to LA Galaxy 2, Los Dos, and they lost by a five-point margin, five to nothing in LA. Crazy. Not only is that just crazy because it's amazing, but also keep in mind what we just described to you and which we'll go back to describe quickly at the end here is Mountain Division Team 1 is going to play Pacific Division Team 4 in the first round of the playoffs. That's exactly the two teams that we have here. So we know that that game would look a little different because it would be in El Paso rather than in LA, but it would be these same two teams. And we just saw Team 4 smoke Team 1. So despite the structure and how these playoffs are are set up anything can happen and this is a great example of that so Niall I know you were absolutely delighted with that win by Los Dos anything else notable from the Mountain Division oh yeah that was absolutely incredible Um, El Paso have been on wishy-washy form they had two draws then two wins and then that huge loss against Los Dos Um, San Antonio in second position, Colorado switchbacks in third, New Mexico in fourth. I know New Mexico, they played yesterday against San Diego Loyal, um, and that ended in a draw, just one all. But there was some serious drama coming out of the Mountain Division between two other teams, between the Real Monarchs. So yep. can I can I pause you there really quickly though sure just before thing. we move on to that? And I do think that's a highlight we want to share. I just want to mention two things. One, that New Mexico United game against San Diego Loyal. Um, New Mexico scored the equalizer at the death. So that's always crazy. And I always like it a little bit when that happens to San Diego Loyal and strip them of those two points. But I also just wanted to mention in terms of El Paso Locomotive, you mentioned them in wishy-washy form, but those two draws were against incredibly good teams. So the first draw was against Colorado Switchbacks who are in position three. And that second draw was against San Antonio FC who are in position number two. And that was a three, three draw. So it's true. You know, they, they don't, they haven't been necessarily on a winning streak, but those draws have been against impressive teams. Just wanted to mention that. Um, yes. So moving on, you're about to talk about some crazy, crazy bananas game. Uh, Austin Bold FC playing against the Real Monarchs SLC. Yeah. And it was in Salt Lake. And the final result was 4-3. So a high scoring game. Real Monarchs won that. But Wow, the first three goals were put up by the hosts, Real Monarchs. So this is significant because Real Monarchs, Real Monarchs have been eliminated from yeah. the division. And San Antonio, or sorry, and, and Austin Bold are, you know, they're in playoff contention still. So Austin Bold go there and they're kind of go to Salt Lake and they're getting it handed to them. So they're losing mm-hmm. 3-0 into the second half and Austin Bold, they get their three goals. So that last goal was in the last few minutes of the game. And the goalie, it was his right to pick up the ball and redistribute the ball you know, out to his team for a kickoff um, in center field. And what happened, but the Austin Bold players just rushed him and tried to grab the ball out of his hands. So he's 16 years old. That's also notable. And a tussle ensues where the goalkeeper gets punched and it's just not looking good. The whole team is now, you know, handbags happening in the, in the, inside the Salt Lake goal. And it's just Mm. crazy. The ref comes over and he distributes the red, the red cards. So Kelly, I think there were two red cards to Austin Bold and, Remarkably, that goalkeeper also got 
uh, from Salt Lake City. He also got a red card. So there's been some news since then. Do you want to fill us in? Well, yeah. And just to close the loop there after that point. So that was the equalizer when the RG Bargy happened. It was 3-3. And then Salt Lake City came back and scored another goal and won the game. So exactly. that was also in stoppage time, presumably. So that was absolutely crazy. And since then, there's been an independent disciplinary review. Um, I just saw this press release a couple of minutes ago, so forgive me. But um, they determined that the Austin Bull defender, the one that threw the punch, his name is Jorge Troncosco. Nope. Troncoso has been suspended two additional games for violent conduct following that independent review. So, I mean, I, I think initially with those red cards being handed out, everyone was obviously going to miss one game and he's been given two additional ones for a total of three games that he'll have to miss, which is the rest of their season. So pretty crazy, pretty horrible. And to my understanding, and I haven't really followed up on this, but a police report was also filed against him for that violent conduct. So I don't know if that will stick or if they'll determine that this disciplinary panel judgment was sufficient, but pretty ugly stuff. Oh, yeah, totally. Plenty of drama going on all around the division. And so let's move on. Are you ready to move on to Pacific Division? I am. I just want to mention, you know, regardless of the fighting that happened with that, it's really awesome to see the Monarchs fighting so hard, <laughs> metaphorically, on the field for that win. You know, I think it's really awesome and honorable and amazing and professional, all of these teams that have been eliminated that are still putting forth their best effort. And we saw a ton of that this weekend, including in the Pacific Division. So moving on to the Pacific Division. Yeah, let me I, just wanna, I just want to say there that we hear about these teams who have been eliminated, that they're just playing for pride. And it's just, it's not true. They're not just playing for pride. They're playing for their place on the roster next season. And in a lot of cases, these guys are playing for their careers because this might be an opportunity for them to show, to still show that although their team is not doing so well, that they can shine and that they can get picked up by another team and, and that their career is not. Open. Of course, of course, no matter what you're a professional, this is your job. This is your career. This is your passion. You're going to play your heart out, but it's easy to be disheartened. It's easy to be disgruntled. It's easy for the team to kind of fall apart. And we've seen some really bright spots in the last couple of weeks from these teams that have been eliminated beating, you know, teams that are in playoff contention. So yeah. I meant it more to note that, but your point's well taken. So moving into the Pacific Division teams one through four, we have Phoenix Rising FC. We have San Diego Loyal, Orange County SC, and LA Galaxy to Los Dos in positions one through four. And everyone listening to this podcast knows that Phoenix has clinched a playoff spot as well as clinched the division. And San Diego Loyal have also clinched their play, clinched a spot in the playoffs. So um, the positions are still to be to be determined for two, three, and four, and indeed, which teams will be in the playoffs are still being determined. So LA Galaxy are currently sitting at number four with 39 points, and the next three teams, five, six, and seven, all have 34 points. That's the Oakland Roots, Sacramento Republic FC, and Tacoma Defiance. Now, I'll mention that Oakland Roots and Tacoma Defiance all still have nine potential points available, where Sacramento only has six. But either way, any of them can move above the line. So very tight division over in the Pacific. 
Yeah, good job, Callum. Nothing major to report there. Other, you know, I think we covered it all in our roundup earlier. The the highlights were the Phoenix Rising games this week. Sure. Yes, as well as that San Diego game when they drew with New Mexico. Right, right. <laughs> Did I mention that? <laughs> awesome. So I think the only thing left to do is just kind of take a look quickly at that bracket again using the teams in the Mountain Division and the Pacific Division who are currently above the line, just to kind of hammer home what those playoffs will look like if they happen this weekend. So Niall, do you want to slot those in? Do you want me to kind of guide you and name? Yeah, fine. The- Let's take a look at that that first game, um, Mountain Division number one, Pacific number four. So that would be El Paso and Los Dos. Boom. And we saw what happened this weekend when they played. Yeah, yeah. But of course, it's going to be in El Paso, so we don't know. Second game, Pacific... Cue the train whistle. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Pacific 2, Mountain 3. That looks like uh, San Diego Loyal if it was played today, and I think that they will stay in second place. They're going to play Colorado Switchbacks, Colorado Springs Switchbacks, um, and then the winners of those two games, El Paso Los Dos, the winner there will go on to play the winner of San Diego and Colorado Switchbacks. Cool. Okay, so that's really amazing. And let's just talk it through if we were to go to the semis. So El Paso and Los Dos, that's a tough one. We don't know who would win, but let's just say for fun, it was Los Dos. They'd move to the semis. And that second game, San Diego playing at home against Colorado. Ooh, that's a tough yeah, one. Let's say I'm it's Colorado. San Diego for sure. You say San Diego would win oh, that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. So then all of a sudden you have a semifinal, which is fully Pacific you've got Los Dos playing San Diego. So it would be so fun to see, you know, their head-to-head pairings. I, I don't know off the top of my head who's won. But anyway, okay. So um, go ahead and give us that second pairing, please, and within if, the Western If that Conference. happens, if it is Los Dos and San Diego, we're going, Kelly. Yes, and and keep in mind, because of points, that would be played most likely in San Diego for yeah. that round. Yeah. <clears throat> Another weekend oh. out. <laughs> the the other two pairings we've got mountain two pacific three and that's san antonio fc playing orange county sc the final pairing pacific one versus mountain four and of course there you've got phoenix rising playing new mexico so the first game uh, oc and san antonio would be in san antonio and the second game phoenix new mexico would be here in phoenix so kelly who would win, San Antonio, San Antonio or OC? Wow, that is such a tough call. You know, an OC is actually a little bit better on the road than they are at home, but I still give that one to San Antonio. And then, of Me course, too. that other one goes to Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. So in wow. that case, Phoenix would be hosting San Antonio FC in the semifinal. In the semifinals. Wow. Oh, so anyway, you can have a lot of fun with this. And I recommend that you guys do and that you go to the uslchampionship.com. Uh, find this bracket, the 2021 USL Championship Playoff structure. It's it's not a bracket. There's no teams in there yet, but put some teams in there. Play around, um, dork out if you want to. But that's kind of a wrap on not only Week 26, some of the highlights and what we saw across um, the league last week, but it's also kind of uh, just an explanation of what those playoffs look like, how they're structured, and what games we would see if they happen this weekend. So can't wait to meet back with you next week to discuss week 27. We'll be one week closer and only one week away from the playoffs, which I want to mention start on Saturday, November 6th. So for most teams, there will be no week off. Most teams will have a game on Saturday, October 30th, and that following Saturday, their fates will be 
will be determined in round one, that quarterfinal of uh, the postseason. So Niall, anything you want to say to wrap up? Exciting stuff. I'm, I'm excited to get through these last few games. So excited for the playoffs. And you just did a fantastic job putting all this together. So kudos to you. Oh, thank you. Well, I hope it lends some clarity to everyone. And, you know, it's harder without the visuals, but I think we talked you through it pretty well. And, you know, if nothing else, just root for Phoenix Rising all the way through to the end and there will be no confusion. And let's do it at Wild Horse Pass. I love that. So thanks that. for joining us. Thanks I for joining us. I love that idea. <laughs> That's the plan. Niall, thanks for joining me. You bet, Kelly, anytime. All right, so we'll we'll meet back here same time, same place next week, everyone, and talk about week 27 and all the excitement to look forward to as we move into that final week, week 28 of the USL Championship. And stick around because we've got a preview of our next game coming up. Anthony Shattuck with Los Bandidos, and you are listening to The Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family, we have two games left in the season, both home games that we should win, but it won't be easy, especially not the first of the two games, which will be this Saturday, October 23rd, where we take on the indomitable Sacramento Republic. Sacramento Republic are in sixth place in the division standings and their chances of making it to the playoffs are slim. They have only had one win in the last five games. That was against Tacoma Defiance on October 2nd. Since then, they've had two losses and two draws, so you could say they're not in best form. It also doesn't help their case that we beat them twice already this season, both times in their home stadium in Sacramento. Let's look at the stats. In terms of goals scored this season, Phoenix Rising have scored a whopping 39 goals at home in Wild Horse Pass. Sacramento have only scored 16 goals in total when playing away from home. The win rates for the two teams are also drastically different. Sac Republic only win 27% of their away games, while Phoenix Rising win 79% of their home games. It's reassuring to know that out of 14 home games, Phoenix have never lost at home. It wasn't all wins, however, we've earned three draws and here's the kicker. The last time we played Sacramento Republic was here in Phoenix and they're one of the few teams that held us to a draw. It was August 21st and it was a nil all draw. So how will we do on October 23rd? To answer that question, we'll have to look at how motivated each team is and who will be on the field. For Sacramento Republic, we've played them three times and we know their team. Their coach Mark Briggs, the familiar names on the back line like Duke Lacroix, Shannon Gomez, Casey and Kilbon Gucci. Midfielders Coelho, Villarreal, Luis Felipe Fernandez and of course the villain Darius Formella. Their forwards Malik Foster, Carlton Belmar and Cameron Iwasa, well, we know them too. There are a lot of big guys on the Sacramento squad who throw their weight around and despite bringing three yellow cards with them from the last game, they're not going to shy away from any opportunity to get physical and play tough. So I'm okay with keeping Solo and Maddox off the pitch. Give them another week to get back to full fitness because these are two players we're counting on for the playoffs. So the game depends on who's on the field and the motivation. 
Phoenix's motivation is to win the Supporters' Shield, the honour of scoring the most points in the USL and earning home field advantage all the way to the final. And that's within reach if we win on Saturday. Of course we're going to be keeping an eye on that Tampa Bay Rowdies game against the Miami FC that's scheduled earlier that same day. Our former striker Chris Cortez recently signed to the Miami FC and he could help us out on our quest for the Supporters' Shield in that game. So what's motivating Sac Republic? They're fighting for the last playoff spot. They're battling Los Dos, Tacoma Defiance and Oakland Roots for that spot and to keep their hopes alive they'll be looking at the midweek games when all of their enemies will be playing. Mark your calendars, Los Dos, Tacoma Defiance and Oakland Roots all have games on Wednesday October 20th. If Los Dos win then Sacramento won't have a shot at the playoffs and will come to Phoenix playing for pride, playing to stay on the roster for next season, playing for their careers. If Los Dos lose on Wednesday, and that is the likely scenario, after all, they're playing away to Charleston Battery, then Sac Republic will come to Phoenix and will have everything to play for. And that's the game we want to see. Two teams, Phoenix Rising and Sacramento Republic, playing like they mean it. Playing like it's a cup final, but without the extra time, without the chance of the lesser team winning on a penalty shootout. Potentially, it will be all up for grabs and could well be the game of the season. Thank you to our guests Kelly McCarthy, John Morrissey known as at USL Tactics on Twitter and Danny Arona who goes by at PHX Arona. And of course thanks to you Phoenix Rising family for making this all worthwhile. Oh just one other thing, what's the score prediction for Saturday's game? Well the pundits cringe when I say it but the players and the fans they know that I'm a thousand percent on the ball when I say that this is a 4-0 home win for Phoenix. Go Rising! Mm -hmm.